the wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning. It's a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is season three, episode 16. We're back. That's right. We're back. It has been way too long but it feels so good to be back here behind the microphone i of course am justin but you're not here to listen to me you're here to listen to that guy who actually knows what he's talking about when it comes to the wheel of time steven oh man it's good to be with you again it is great to uh to be back uh to get to chat with you again and just uh to get to talk with all of our listeners out there uh it's been too long and i am excited to be back i don't even want to think about how long it's been i mean our last episode was our our big 50th episode special uh which was probably some of the most fun i've ever had recording together (laughs) and oh i hated that after that we just kind of fell away for a little while which i mean we couldn't help it right right life is a not always conducive to helping make a podcast happen. Yeah. Uh, All of you out there that are listening, first of all, um, if you still had us in your podcast feed, just waiting for the day, (laughs) thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We, we, we are so grateful to you, or I'm sure there are some who have kind of come on during the, the hiatus and we're thankful to you as well. Maybe, Maybe you're listening and you don't realize that uh, any time has passed. And hey, that's great. Uh, we're yeah. happy for that. But <laughs> um, we're we're definitely thankful for the listeners who have been waiting, been patient. Um, we've had a few reach out to us, didn't we, Stephen? We did. Uh, some really nice emails uh, got sent our way. It was really encouraging. So uh, definitely appreciate all of the uh, listeners and followers out there. Yeah. It was nice to know that y'all actually missed us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really was. Uh, um, made it even harder when it took longer to uh, to get back. Yeah. Uh, so, but it, it but, was, was nice. But we're back. We are. We we're are back. back. We are ready to go. We're going to dive right in where we left off. So, um, you know, if, if you have come to the podcast later. Maybe you don't realize that there was a break in between. Uh, you're jumping right back on from season three, episode 15, uh, the, the 50th anniversary, or 50th episodes, 50th anniversary. We're not even that old. No. Uh, <laughs> the 50th episode special. And maybe you're jumping right in. It's going to be, it's going to be right where we left off in the dragon reborn. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. A couple of things. Uh, to mention to you as we kind of begin again, because life is still life, uh, we are going to have to record a little bit less often. Uh, instead of 
bringing you a new episode every week. Uh, we're going to switch to bi-weekly, uh, which, uh, you know, sometimes the question is, is bi-weekly twice a week or every two weeks? Uh, in our case, it's going to be every two weeks. Yeah. Uh, we will still release on Tuesdays, but instead of every Tuesday, it will be every other Tuesday. But there might be some good news on that front, right, Stephen? Because some right. uh, the, the, we might change a little bit about how the episodes are done. Yeah, so uh, with them being less often, um, we may end up being able to do some slightly longer episodes, um, dive into things in a little more detail instead of trying and just overall flesh things out a little more. Uh, we're not going to make the episodes just horrendously long, but maybe a little less restrained. Give us the ability to really dive into things and uh, not necessarily have to cut off a discussion in order to hit that strict timeline like before. So yeah. try and make things a little more fluid and more open-ended. Yeah. I think in the past, we always tried to keep it between maybe an hour and an hour and 15. Yeah. Every now and then we would go over a little bit, maybe to like an hour 20. Now maybe we'll be looking at more like a, what, an hour and a half. Yeah. Maybe a little bit longer, maybe even up to two. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we'll just have to I see guess... where the, how, where the discussion takes us. Yeah, I think that's the biggest point is just if the discussion is going and it's flowing and we're really getting into it, we're, we're not going to have as strict a limit to try and yeah. cut ourselves off. If we think it's a good discussion that you guys are going to want to hear, we'll let the time go a little bit longer to let that discussion be had. And so y'all can join in that, that uh, discussion with us as well. And um, maybe on occasion we get through more than three chapters even might might be, be able to yeah. do that too uh we'll just have to see where the where the winds blow <laughs> i thought you would like that one uh, uh something like else that. just uh go ahead and let you know there there might be some other news to to come a few things that we might be doing different as we draw towards the end of what is season three which in which we're reading the dragon reborn and maybe start to move towards season four, which will be the next book, which is what um, the shadow rising. Mm -hmm. uh, it's up there on my shelf. I had to kind of <laughs> strain my <laughs> neck to see it. Um, might have a few new updates for you uh, in relation to that. So just be, be on the lookout, but for now I'm just glad to be back. Yeah. And uh, diving back into this and see how much I can remember from what we've already done. Oh come because, on! It hasn't because been that as long. as our longtime listeners know, I don't remember anything. <laughs> so uh, we'll see what happens. I I did we'll see there, there's these three boys and they're in this town. <laughs> do we just need to go back and rehash the the entirety of book one and two and everything from three up until now? Well, I'll tell you what. If you need to, then just do exactly what our listeners should do. Go back, listen to episode one. And listen up to now, and you'll be caught up. Uh, <laughs> I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> My podcast feed is 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 getting um, it's growing more and more each day. And I guess oh, you'll well. have to do it the old fashioned way and just go read the books. I guess I will. <laughs> uh, or maybe you can just remind me when I forget about something. Oh, I guess. <laughs> All right. So as we dive back in, what are we going to be discussing? 
this week. So tonight we are going to discuss chapters 41, 42, and 43 of The Dragon Reborn. So, like always, listeners, like I just talked about, if you have not listened or read these chapters and everything leading up to them, there will be spoilers. So please, put us on pause for a minute. Go and uh, take you a quick listen. If you're listening to an audiobook or if you're reading the book, go read. And then come back, hit play. We'll be here waiting for you. And then we can all enjoy it together. Because I hate the idea of spoiling it for anybody. And now that you're back, let's <laughs> dive into chapter 41. Chapter 41. A Hunter's Oath. It seems the Snow Goose is becoming very cramped quarters while both Moraine and Zerine remain on board. The promise of Ileana waits, but Zerine will not be turned away. The Falcon appears to be perched on Perrin's shoulder as Fael swears an oath to Moraine in order to remain with the group. Much to the shaggy-haired blacksmith's dismay. <laughs> so, maybe, maybe we should uh, just kind of remind ourselves of what is going on as we get back into Perrin's head. And thankfully we're only going to be in Perrin's head this week. Uh, No other characters come into the scene. We don't really have, we might have to talk a little bit about what's going on with some other characters later uh, tonight's episode. But uh, for, for now Perrin, um, his, his arc in this book, if I remember correctly, began in the mountains of mist with Moraine, Lan, and Loyal. I believe Men was there. Yep. And Rand was there. Uh, and some stuff went down with Rand. <laughs> <laughs> Rand takes off uh, in the middle of the night, and basically we have Perrin, Moraine, Lan, and Loyal. Uh pretty much chasing after him right yeah. or or trying to trying to follow him and track him down all signs point to him heading to tear because that because of because of prophecy right yeah because what he knows of prophecy yeah uh, uh the which where he hears what he hears is a whole nother question but yeah uh, from what he Rand himself has cobbled together, what he knows of the prophecies, he's trying to to do that, to follow after it. Yeah. Um, and I think in a lot of ways he's. We talked about this a little bit before, but I think Rand is trying. He is rushing to try and still prove that he is not the dragon. He's accepted that people need him to be the dragon. But there's still this part of him in the back of his mind that wants to do something that would make it, oh, they were wrong. It's not actually me. Right. And so by chasing after this prophecy, if he can't fulfill it or if it it doesn't get fulfilled, then he gets a cop out. Okay. I think that's what he is running towards. Is that last bit of that last lifeline to try and say, no. Maybe I am doomed to be a man who can channel, but please, I don't want to be him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's where our 
our group that we're going to be with in this episode, that's where they're, they're, they're trying to catch up to him. Yeah. So far unsuccessfully and have picked up another member along the way, Zareen, AKA Fail. Her, her name is Zareen. She insists on being called Fail. Fail means Falcon. Right. Uh, and of course that's very important to Perrin, which we'll discuss in a few minutes. Um, and Perrin has his own little issues, which maybe we'll discuss in a little bit, maybe not. Um, everything that's been happening with the wolves. Yeah. Perrin, Perrin, so, Perrin is still fighting with that in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think and, while we have Rand running literally, um, Perrin is running just as much, but yeah. from himself. Yeah. Uh, He's not going anywhere physically, but in his his journey is an inner journey. Um, and that's kind of the parallel in this book, in my opinion. Uh, you have the journey of Rand, who's physically marching towards his destiny as he sees it. And you have Perrin, who is being moved, allowing himself to be moved by the forces around him while he is inside fighting against his very self. And all of that brings us to the coastal city of Ilion. Yep. <laughs> and all I have to say as um all I have to say is someone who was born and raised in the South, just as you were. Yep. Uh welcome to the world of heat and humidity. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as I was reading this, you know, I definitely got the feel of, you know, like a a coastal southern city, like something like New Orleans or maybe a Charleston. Yeah. Um, which I've been to one of those. And believe me, it is hot. It is humid in the in the summertime. But I what what period time of the year are we we're still kind of in in spring? Yeah. So, so we're we're in the springtime. It's a late spring, but it is spring. Yeah. And, and it seems like is we're, we'll see a little bit later to the citizens of Ilion, it's still a little cool. Yeah. But for Perrin, it's it's almost oppressively warm and damp. Yep. But what's more oppressive? <laughs> the heat and humidity of Ilion or the atmosphere above aboard the snow goose? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think I would rather take the heat and humidity myself. <laughs> uh, yeah. Perrin finds himself uh, between a woman and a woman, <laughs> uh, neither of which, uh, neither of which has the most uh, care for him at the moment, particularly in between their arguments with one another. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it is interesting to me. Uh, the atmosphere is that tense uh, between uh, Zareen and Moraine, especially because, and this is something we don't see a whole lot so far. This is actually, this is probably the first time we've really seen it uh, is another woman who doesn't find out Moraine is an Aes Sedai and just immediately like, oh, Aes Sedai, you yeah. know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Zareen is like, okay, she's an Aes Sedai. 
woohoo <laughs> you know she she's respectful i guess but she is not like cowering like so many others have been um which really makes you wonder who exactly Zareen is <laughs> well you know we know she's she's not from around here right uh she's from saldea i believe yes uh which is in the north which i'm surprised you know curious to how she's handling uh the heat and humidity although she had been in ilion before Right, because uh, this is where she took her oath as a hunter. But I think that's the real thing with with Zareen is you know she sees all of this as part of her quest as a hunter for the horn, and she sees this party as her ticket to, uh, to finding it. Yeah, and if they've got an Aes Sedai in the party, even better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think um, it's it it's it's funny. She you know she's like, oh well, we've got. An Aes Sedai, a warder, an Ogier, and then this blacksmith. <laughs> she's like, of all the people, you know, yeah. she's She's like, oh, well, this is an odd little group. But I think she, you know, the least important in her mind would be this this strange little blacksmith. Yeah. Uh, but she's the one that, he's the one that she seems to latch onto and focus on. But, well, maybe that's because he's such, I mean, first of all, what's he doing with this group? <laughs> but also, I mean, she has already seen, and I think she brings this up at a later point, that he's not just an ordinary blacksmith. No. Okay, an ordinary blacksmith does not set Aiel free and kill white cloaks. Right. Which is pretty much how Zareen met Perrin. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, she definitely knows there's something more uh to him but i mean that little um tension between between those two women and, and there are little moments where we see zareen realizing oh this is an ice to die yeah <laughs> you know she's not like bold and brash you know she no. she tries to be but then she has like little tells that give away you know she she's at least a little nervous yeah um so you have that between them parents of course caught in the middle of it uh, but not only that, yeah. you have the crew are pretty much walking eggshells around yeah. the Aes Sedai. Loyal straight up <laughs> nopes out into his cabin for the entire <laughs> that trip. Was, that was my next thing. Loyal is just, I'm staying out of it. I'm staying away. <laughs> yep. uh, I will wait until everybody has gone to bed and yep. I will come up on the deck and smoke my pipe. But other than that, I'm staying in my cabin. I'm reading my notes and we're just going to stay out of it. Yeah. Um. And then, of course, which is there's... probably the smartest thing to do, honestly. Yeah. Uh, then, of course, there's there's Lan. Yeah. Um. Who is um? Well, what's going on with Lan? <laughs> so, in my opinion, this is the first time we see this little. It, it's it's Jordan's first real attempts outside of the relationship between Lan and Rand to really start showing you that Lan isn't just you know a lot of times people refer to him as a stone yeah uh but this is one time where you see kind of a crack in that facade uh and i i referred to it in our notes as we need to talk about Lan's sass here uh you know because i think he is still very upset with moraine for what she has told him she is planning for him and so he's getting a little more lippy and he, you know, the the girl, uh, 
Thereen and Moraine are going back and forth with each other, and where Land would normally stay out of it, he's making little jabs yeah. and quips and laughing. Uh, you know, and it's just I just love it. It just makes Land come alive as more than just this like stone faced statue of a person. Uh, you know, he's like, you know what, Moraine? You want to play games with me? You know, well, I'm going to laugh when somebody, you know, what, when what I find was something it, funny. What was it? Something about, uh, is it Mirel that, you know, she's threatened yeah. to pass his bond to? And he's like, I hear that she tells jokes to her warders, so I have to practice smiling at them. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just read it and it was just like, oh, the the sass. And I could just see Moraine like staring you see, daggers through his head. kind of see the vein in her forehead <laughs> starting to. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <clears throat> so, of but course, yeah, Perrin, I... Perrin's probably got his own veins in his forehead. Just, just dealing with with Zerine or Fael, as she would prefer to be called. Yeah. Which again means Falcon. Yeah. And there's there's a really good reason why Perrin is so resistant to use that name, and it all comes back to, uh, it all comes back to men. Yeah. Because men saw a what was it a falcon perched on his shoulder. Right. And Perrin is resistant to the idea <laughs> that um, yeah, which, that 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 what's that that's what's going on here. Yeah, which also brings up the idea of like self fulfilling prophecy. Uh huh. Because there's obviously things that Perrin has been doing ever since she told him to call her Fayil. He has been trying so hard. To like, nope, nah, -uh, not can't be her. Not gonna be her. She needs to go. <laughs> <laughs> that I think it's actually part of what is drawing her in more, because he's acting like, okay, gotta get rid of you. It's yeah. he's acting suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which for a person who is looking for strange things, is just like a a beacon. Like, hey, <laughs> why is he so? You know, why is he trying to get me to gone so bad? <laughs> Which it it doesn't it doesn't help the fact that Perrin can't help but notice that she's pretty. Yeah, and and, and I I kind of laughed that you know how often that kept coming up. You know something about Zareen being attractive. Yeah. To Perrin, and you know, so I think there's a little bit too of him. He's just, you know, he likes her, but he's trying to deny it. <laughs> you know, all of yeah. that kind of thing. Um, I guess the, the main thing, I guess, other than, you know, kind of setting up the tension, which kind of carries over from things that had happened in previous chapters, uh, I guess the main thing of this chapter is as the aforementioned title, the, the hunter's oath, right? Which I guess kind of has a dual meaning because the actual, oath that Zareen took as a hunter of a horn of the horn is brought up but she is a hunter called upon in this chapter to swear an oath mm -hmm. so do you want to touch on that a little bit sure so Moraine uh, is ready to be done uh, and she will allude to the fact that and you know Perrin obviously was completely oblivious to this and just kind of bumbling along but from what Moraine says, she's been trying this entire time to keep 
uh, Zareen from joining them, uh, which is pretty obvious by how she's been treating her. But mm-hmm. uh, she will make an allusion to at one point that despite my attempts, it looks like this is men's Falcon parent. Yeah. Uh, so she is determined to perch on your shoulder. Uh, there's nothing I can do about it. Uh, but she is going to hold uh, Zareen to an oath. Um, so, and not just uh, a normal promise, but an oath on her hunter's oath. Mm-hmm. So if she breaks one, she, she breaks both. Right. Which, that's a big, I, I know in a lot of our world, people's oaths don't mean as much as they used to. Um, but in this world, and in, in a good world, yeah. a person's word has meaning. And especially for someone who would travel literally. So the Saldea from Ilion, which is where the Hunter's Oath was given, is in the court it's, at Ilion. Yeah, it's That's literally much... the equivalent of somebody going from uh, Texas to North Dakota. Yeah. I mean, it's from as far north in the country to down to the, south the, the southern tip. Yeah. Uh, so she journeyed quite a ways to be there uh, to take this oath, basically, you know, against all odds. So that oath is very dear to her. Like it is a part of who she identifies herself as. And so to break it would be to basically turn her back on who she is. And so in this, in so doing, Moraine is binding her more tightly than honestly probably than she ha- we've seen her tie anybody at this point mm-hmm. um so and it's a very specific oath too with a lot of stipulations and rules uh so let me let me pull up that section real quick uh in the chapter if i thought i would have written this part out yeah and i, I didn't write down page numbers which i think your page numbers are different than mine yeah but um, let's see all right if you wish to go with us this is what you must do you will swear by your hunter's oath to do as i say to heed me and to not leave us once you know more than you should of what we do i will not allow you to fall into the wrong hands know that for truth girl you will swear to act as one of us and to do nothing that will endanger our purpose. You will ask no questions of where we go or why. You will be satisfied with what I choose to tell you. All of this you will swear, or you will remain here in Ilion, and you will not leave this marsh until I return to release you if it takes the rest of your life. This I swear. (laughs) Uh, So it's a very harsh oath. And I think it is in part because of a couple of different things. I think okay. this is Moraine wishing she had made the boys swear an oath like this way back <laughs> in the day um, because of all the headaches they have caused. Um, and so I think she's getting a chance to like <clears throat> get some power back and some yeah. control. And so she is not going to let this go easily. Hmm. Uh, so it is a very harsh demanding oath uh with that added caveat on the end of uh this you will swear or you will remain here and like basically you all right you want to come with us okay you swear to do everything i tell you we're good if you don't 
you ain't setting foot out of Ilion for the rest of your life. And that's <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh and that's that's Moraine being nice. Yeah. Because yeah. she does not she could just like <laughs> Zareen alludes to, uh, you know, there are things that she could do. It is not beyond the pale for Moraine to tell Land to take Zareen for a little swim that she doesn't come back from. Mm. You know, it is well within, if Lan is told to do so by Moraine and she feels that's what's best for the service of the light, Zareen is done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is there is no, you know, we think of Moraine and Land as the good guys, and they are, but they are definitely like to live in that gray. Like, it's what we run into with the Blues, and it's why yeah. the Blues have such a hard time with the other Aes Sedai. They believe in a cause at all costs. Yeah. Now, it and so happens that it, Moraine's cause is the light, but still... It's kind of it's kind of one of those situations. Um, it whatever is necessary for the greater good, yeah. Um, and you know the world may view that as being wrong, whatever they have to do. But yeah. if it's for the sir, if it's for the greater good, um, then they're willing to do it. Um, which and that's which, which setting up an ethical dilemma there. Which which Zareen has a <laughs> she has that moment where she's like, well, there's nothing you can do, uh, nothing you would do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think she realizes full well. There's plenty that the Aes Sedai could do, right? But she doesn't believe she she will. Um, I think that's it's that she will. And I think there's that stipulation in her mind that right now, like with all these witnesses. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, of course, Lan is, um, he's ready to do whatever needs to be done for sure. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I made a note of this in the notes. Yeah. I like the fact that this is, and I don't even think he realizes he's doing it. It's almost <laughs> reflexive, but Perrin doesn't like, to draw attention to himself. He likes to be quiet. But for some reason, he chooses this moment to stand up to Lan in defense of Zareen, uh, which is very not a thing Perrin does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, he usually tries to follow Lan's lead or just stay out of the way. He, I don't know that I've ever seen him in the books up to this point really like try to stand you know what i mean stand up to the man uh because i don't think perrin feels confident that that's even a thing he could do <laughs> uh so i just like that i that point there that while perrin is all a bunch of feelings right now his his gut reaction is to come to her defense yeah uh, yeah i just i love that moment it's i, I I'm, I'm gonna read it here right quick um Zareen speaking, she says, I know a little of Aes Sedai. I know for all the stories that there are things you will not do. And I do not believe Stoneface would do what you what he must. I do not believe that Stoneface would do what he must to make me give over. Are you sure enough of that to risk it? Land spoke quietly and his face did not change. But Zareen swallowed again. There's no need to threaten her, Land, Perrin said. 
he was surprised to realize he was glaring at the warder. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's Perrin. Like he, he kind of forgets himself for a moment. Yeah. Which is what men tend to do in the in the presence of a beautiful woman. Yeah. Uh, especially one I think we've already established. Perrin can say what he wants. He's attracted to her. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I think that's exactly what's happening right there. If if it was. I think if it was anybody, maybe not anybody else, but most other people, Perrin probably wouldn't have said anything. But right, because it's Zareen who, as much as Perrin wants to protest, um, yeah. he, he's he's got the he's got a thing for. Her. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's fun. Um, but back to Moraine. Um, and again, her her cause. Um. Maybe Zareen shouldn't be so sure yeah. of what Moraine will and will not do because she gets she gets very serious about uh everything. But pretty much she puts um how is it she puts it Zareen is or or Fail, how whatever you know we want to call her is Perrin's responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> which they, they both chafe at that. <laughs> yeah. But uh how does Moraine put it? Uh, towards that the end of that discussion i gotta find it again um yeah yeah i think it's interesting yeah it's 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 towards the end of the chapter um the Aes Sedai went serenely on as if they had never opened their mouths it seems you have found men's falcon to viren I tried to dis- I've tried to discourage her, but it appears she will perch on your shoulder whatever I do. The pattern weaves a future for you, it seems. Yet remember this. If I must, I will snip your thread from the pattern. And if the girl endangers what must be, you will share her fate. Just yep. normal conversation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nor- normal chatting, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah moraine doesn't play and no she doesn't but uh, i I guess i'm I'm curious you know i don't think that's an empty threat oh no no and so my question is exactly what can you do moraine um i have some ideas but i i don't remember if we've come, if we've gotten there yet, I don't remember. We might have to talk about it off air. Okay. And, uh, if we, if now we need I'm, to talk, if, now I'm really intrigued. If we need to, to talk about it going. more later, um, we can. Are you talking about a specific technique? Yeah. Okay. One that I know has been brought up, but I don't know how much we know about it. Yeah, you're point. not there yet. Okay. I, I know because I've read a little bit more in yeah. the past, but I don't want we to bring can, that up. We will be able to talk about that after the next episode. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> we're dancing around it a little bit. Maybe you can figure out what it is. And many of you have already read the series anyway. You're just joining along uh, for the fun and you already know what we're talking about anyway. But um, yeah. so but would, but, that maybe be, would that maybe be what Moraine is threatening or... I I don't know that it's anything that grandiose. Okay. I think it might just simply be 
I'll end you. Okay. You know, like well, I'm, if you I'm be just... cut, if you yeah. get in the way of what I see as needing to happen, I will not hesitate to bring your life to a quick end. Yeah. I, I guess I'm just thinking about that. The, the way she said it about snipping his thread, his thread from the pattern. Yeah. No, she that, could be. That, that uh, seems a little bit further more than just, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. I don't know if she, she might be alluding to that. I don't know if she's not just trying to make a point. Okay. Um, I don't know that that's, well, I don't know that she, mm. now, okay, that brings up an interesting <laughs> thought. Uh, if if Moraine truly viewed them as, hmm, okay, that's not a thing I had thought about before. So, to use, yeah, if she was able to convince herself that Perrin had turned to the shadow then all bets are off as to what she could do. But mm. otherwise, I think she well, would still be bound by the three oaths. Well, what um, if, she, if she could convince herself that he was a threat to her life? Yeah. Because I know that's the exception in the in the oath, is in yeah. defense of her own life or her warders or another sister. Yeah. And yeah, if, if she, if could she convince thinks herself... If she thinks that whatever Perrin or... Zareen might do. I mean, we're we're talking about possibly putting the world at jeopardy. Yeah. So you're bringing you're you're diving into a thing that we typically wouldn't see people talk about till much further in. But just how concrete are the three oaths? Because you're seeing right now as we dive into it, just how subjective yeah those oaths can be. Hmm. Uh. To the individuals who have sworn them and how they were able to possibly get around the oaths yeah. while still keeping them well, in their own minds. Yeah, maybe we should table that conversation because I know that for the Q&A for this season, I do have a question in there about the three oaths. Okay. So maybe we can tie that into that discussion. Sure. Uh, and for now, let's just talk about... Uh, uh, Heron and women, <laughs> which is is kind of a theme we see with all three of the boys from Emmons Field. Yeah. You know, every one of them thinks, uh, oh, uh, you know, Perrin and Matt are both like, oh, Rand knows, he knows how to talk and deal with women. Well, of course, Rand thinks, oh, well, Matt knows how, to, how things. Um, and I, I will say this, and I think I can do so without <clears throat> spoilers. That is not something that will stop anytime soon. Oh, I know. <laughs> I've uh, I've read far, and it I've read far enough in in the past, and it always makes me laugh that all of them think that the others, yeah, you know, no understand women. Yep. Um, but I love this this moment where Perrin is sitting there thinking to himself, you know, with everything going on with Moraine and Zareen, he's like, man, I can't remember a time I've ever been so bullied. By women, his words, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then his mind. And, and just then he's like, "Oh wait, well, down. well, night, Nynaeve and Mistress Luhan, and you know, Egwene had a way about her. 
and, and Mistress Alvere. Oh, pretty much all the women in the women's circle in Emmons Field. Yeah. So, um, so he's like, come to think of it, it seems like every woman who's ever been in my <laughs> life. <laughs> uh, uh, it just cracks me up the way he's like, oh, I've never experienced it. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that uh, moment of self-realization and then it's just gone. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, parents. Uh, uh, so I, I think in a lot of ways, Perrin is the mo most intro. Actually, yeah, I would say he absolutely is. Perrin is the most introspective of our three boys. And I think we've uh, always kind of known that about him, haven't we? Yeah. Because he's always, you know, been, we've always seen him as the kind of, slow and by means uh, by slow i mean not as quick to act yeah he's always been the slow thoughtful one yeah whereas obviously matt i think we think of as the more impetuous yeah um and i guess Rand just kind of falls somewhere in the middle Rand just want at this point Rand just wants to have his simple life yeah Rand, Rand wants to go back to the farm that will pretty uh, much be Rand's consistent theme throughout his life. Yeah. Uh, Which I think Perrin kind of wants that too, a little bit. He wants to just go, he wants to just go back to the forge. Um, yeah. Evidenced by kind of the way he acts when he first gets into Ilion, uh, which should, which can take us into the next chapter if we're ready to move on. Okay, sure. Um, chapter 42, easing the badger. A heaviness lies over the city of Ilion, and it's not just the warm, humid air. Something's not right. Where even the once peaceful, easing the badger is seeing its share of trouble. And the trouble is just beginning when a surprise attack sends Moraine out into the night all by herself. Um, so what I was saying before was as they're really starting to enter into Ilion, you know, First of all, it doesn't feel at first that different from the other cities that Perrin has seen, which is a total of two. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's such a world traveler. He, he he has such, a, but I mean, you know, he's he's been to Camelin, he's been to Kyrian, yeah, and in many ways, Ilion doesn't seem that different. Maybe a little bit, you know, some some things are a little bit different, but overall, yeah. it's the sounds of a city. He even hears the sound of a forge. And has that moment where he's like, oh, man, how great would it be to be back at the forge? Yeah. The memories of a simpler time uh, and how much, you know, I guess how much he misses that part of his life, wouldn't you say? Yeah. No, and I think I think he misses the. Uh, not I wouldn't say simple nature of it. I think he just misses the like consistency and he is one that very much likes to have a a task and know what he's doing and just yeah. like set to a goal. He does not like all of the unknown that his life has become. Uh, it's, it's simple compared to what he's dealing with now. Yeah. I think that's what I mean by simple. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, he, 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 he would rather just, you know, wake up in the morning, go to the forge, do his work, go home, come back tomorrow, do it all again. Yeah. Uh, there's enough, uh, there's probably enough variety in making things at the forge because, you know, you're not going to make the exact same thing every day in most cases. True. Uh, some days you might, 
you know, some days you might just make horseshoes for like a week straight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there might be other tasks, but still it's that but simplicity I think he, of, of the routine. I think he likes, I think he would be perfectly fine making horseshoes for a week. I think he likes the predictability. He likes, he likes the routine. Yeah. And this he likes is certainly, to know what's happening. This is certainly <laughs> not the routine. No. And it hasn't been for a long while for him. Yeah. And I think that's starting to wear on him at this point. Because yeah. uh, outside of all the other boys, I think he is the one that is most tor still torn by not being home. You know, I think he is, of all three of our boys, the one that most misses the life he had before. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt, not so much. Matt, you know, is is pretty content to continue exploring within reason. Uh, Rand wants for simpler things, but I don't think he necessarily wants the life he had before. Uh, he just wants not the life that's being forced on him. Mm. But Perrin, really deep down at this point, still just wants to go back to what it was before Winter's Night and mm -hmm. pick right back up there and just continue the life he had. <laughs> um, he hasn't let go of who he used to be and the life that he thought he would have, and he wants that still. Yeah. Let's talk about Ilion. Yeah. Uh, besides, besides the weather. <laughs> <laughs> which we're going to be reminded of uh many times throughout throughout these chapters it's warm it's oppressive yeah um they don't believe in snow <laughs> yeah that's that was <laughs> what caught me off. i was like yeah that that sounds yeah so that to me makes it really sound like new orleans yeah uh -huh. you know yeah. and, and the way it's described and it's also almost has like an almost uh venice type feel to it that that uh, was the exact, canals and things like that that was the exact description that i had it feels kind of like a mixture of like an old southern city yeah like like new orleans this old southern port city and then yeah venice with its canals and bridges and things like that yeah um, which so many of the places in the wheel of time are like that they're amalgams of different places that came from our world yeah uh so, but yeah, it, it really, to me, feels like that. Um, and I think it's interesting. This is, as far, yeah, so this would be Perrin's first time seeing the ocean. <laughs> oh, it would, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because so, he's never, well, yeah. I don't know. Could he have seen it in Falma? Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah he would have. Yep, yeah, you're it's, right. It's right there, it's right there on, on Toman yeah. Head. Yeah, so you're right, and that's um, probably why it's not made a bigger deal when he does see it here. Yeah. Uh, now that I think about it, so that's my bad. I didn't no, that's okay. That. I, hey, that's okay. Uh, uh, it's still, um, the experience is probably something. Yeah. Special, because I mean, I don't think I don't think they went to the beach. No. Nah. I mean, they're not going to the beach here either, but they're sailing in to the harbor. Yeah. Uh, now he does. He does take a minute to really like take in the fact that there are some big boats yeah some some massive ships i mean you got different uh uh fauna different kind of birds that he, he's really not familiar with 
Uh, you got the the tanners right there, uh, just out just uh, on the outskirts of the city, which was is is the way it would have actually been done. Yeah. Uh, just happened. <laughs> I just happened to know that little bit of history that the tanners, you know, where they made leather, uh, it would be on the outskirts of the city because of the smell. Oh yeah, you wouldn't and, want um, that in the middle yeah. of your city. And make more leather there than probably in a day than probably the whole two rivers does in a year. Yeah. Um. But even get, even getting down to like the politics of this city. Yeah. Uh, and it's such a it's such a ridiculous thing. You know, what was it? The king told the council they could have any palace they want, just so long as it's not bigger than Grand, his. Yeah. Couldn't and be grander so, than his own. So what do they do? They build the exact same thing with slightly Two feet smaller yeah, and every slightly dimension. smaller measurements. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, same. I mean, like it's literally a carbon copy, but two feet smaller. I mean, are we governing a city or are we kids on a playground? You know, in a lot of ways, most of the nobles that we encounter in this world act like children on a playground. Mm. Um, I think that's Jordan. Like Jordan has something to say about people that come to power uh, by like birth as opposed to people yeah. who earned power. Yeah. Um and you'll see that um whenever there's somebody who is in a position of authority that has actually done something to achieve that, they're they come across very differently in the book as opposed to a lot of these nobles who basically are in the position they're in, ruling the people they are because of who their great great granddaddy was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or they've connived and schemed in the case of Kyrian to get where they are. <laughs> mm. uh, so he has a he has something to say, in my opinion, on the value of actual like leadership as opposed to people who come into places of power. Right. Uh, and Ilion is no excuse, uh, no exception. Uh, you have the king and you have the council. Uh, and neither one of them, basically the way they that it is explained to us as we get to easing the, the badger later by the, uh, the woman, the innkeeper there, yeah. basically the council and the King bicker back and forth and deal with themselves and play their games. And the, the common people just kind of rule themselves. Mm -hmm. Like it's a very free city in that sense. Like basically the people just kind of do their thing and, I think, in honesty, the people that really rule Ilion are probably the merchants. Mm. Like, the people controlling the purse strings. Uh, while they're not sitting on thrones, I think they're the ones on a day-in, day-out basis who really control what's happening in the city. Okay. As opposed to the nobles. Uh, but the nobles do still have real power. They do, it seems. Just that most yeah. of the time, it's not directed at the common people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... So yeah, Ilion or Ilion, I'm not sure if I'm how, how I'm supposed to pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> I've but, always called it uh, Ilion myself. Uh, let's see what let's see what Jordan says. <laughs> yeah, Ilion. That's how I'm going to pronounce. It. Anyway, um, something doesn't feel right though. Yeah, and. It seems to be affecting everybody. Yeah, I think Every, he says I like think, 
everybody's out of every five. Well, I'm I'm thinking about everybody in the group seems to be noticing it, you know, in different ways. Yeah. Uh, You know, Perrin kind of notices, you know, what, like one in five look like they hate everybody. Yeah. Um, But what really, I guess, tips him off is he overhears Moraine saying something to Lan about something not being right in the city. There's something wrong here. And um, we're not really sure what it is just yet. Uh, I think we might by the end of this this episode, but yeah. <laughs> um, there's so many different variables, which we I think we can get into some of that discussion uh, as we talk about um, arriving at the inn, which is yeah. called Easing the Badger. Yeah. Which is a strange name, and I really want to hear the story behind that. <laughs> um, because it sounds like there's a story. Yeah, it does. It's an (laughs) odd little uh, uh, end sign, too. It's a badger and a guy with a silver shovel. You know, Uh, it makes you think there's some kind of a story there, but I don't know that we ever really get to know. And that's something, to me, that really shows the the breadth of the world that he creates. Not everything, like, Perrin has no idea. It's, you know, the world has its own little secrets. It has its, uh, not everyone knows every story. Not every story is going to get told. Uh, Sometimes it's just part of a breathing world that there are things that have complete explanation, but we're just not privy to it. So are you telling me I'm never going to know what easing the badger means? As far as I know, (laughs) uh, yeah, no, you're never going to find out. Well, at least we have a stout innkeeper. Yes. Uh, because uh, as we know um, from the past, never trust a skinny innkeeper. Yeah. And this innkeeper is not skinny. So I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt from the start and trust her for now. Yeah. She <laughs> is, however, a spy. She is, isn't she? Or at least she an informant of some kind. Yes. For who? For Moraine. Um, uh, now, I, I I was one. Does she know who Moraine is? So she knows Moraine is Aes Sedai. Okay. I doubt she knows Moraine's real name. Okay. Because that's just how Moraine rolls. She gives out names like they're hat tricks. Uh, <laughs> you know. She's got a different one for every city, it seems. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, she is one of what we, we what the books will refer to as eyes and ears. Um. So she would very much be the same as remember back in the beginning of this book, Moraine was sitting in camp with Rand up in the mountains, and women kept and, appearing, yeah. and, and coming to tell her news. They would have been women just like this innkeeper. Okay her informants that she summoned to come and give her information and tell her what was going on in different places. Okay. Um, so this one makes allusion to the fact that she's been sending, uh, sending letters, uh, but that they've been going to the tower. Right. As opposed to, to Moraine directly, because obviously she's traveling around. You got to send them somewhere. And then the tower should hopefully disseminate the information to her or they would be there when she, when she got back, okay. Or for all we know, they're going straight to Swan, but 
uh you know that's okay. that's what this woman's role is so she would have it she's basically on a need to know but she knows she's serving an Aes Sedai. she knows what she needs to know yeah okay or she so. do know what she do be needing to know Yes. yes. Oh yes, my yes. goodness. I, you know, ever since the first time I read this series, I, I have to be honest. I, I don't like the way Ileana speak. Really? Uh, it's, it's, it's my hard. favorite accent. It's hard. It's so hard to read for me. Oh, uh, I love it. <laughs> it. It is so unique and uh, it, so different. I it just is that. love it. It is unique. Uh, I will give it that, but I've, I've always struggled to read it. Yeah. Um. That's, but that's just me. Uh. Everybody has their own, uh, their own desire, their own thing, but uh, it, it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. Um, but we we learn quite a bit. Um, and I guess if uh, Nita, which is the innkeeper's name, um, if she's a informant or an eyes and ears for Moraine, she, she we would expect her to know. Yeah. Quite a bit. Innkeepers tend to know a lot anyway. Uh, because yeah, they, they do. You know. Uh, people coming and going they hear bits of information they kind of know what's going on and and there's really a lot of information that she is able to give us first of all that um uh well for one thing the um uh, the badger used to be a little bit quieter right and uh the good there's a good reason that it's not so quiet now she's got this singer uh from altara i think she said it was yeah singing these um somewhat inappropriate songs yeah <laughs> but you know I, and we'll touch on that for a second that's actually something else um i love about the way jordan writes is how he will hint at things yeah that might be a little bit more we might say pg-13 yeah without really going into detail right yes I mean, like this this scene right here, there are hints that the things this girl is singing about right. are not um well, like I say, they're not G rated. Yeah. They're probably not no. even PG rated. <laughs> yeah. No, they're definitely um, it's some racy lyrics. Uh yeah. but he does not decide to be graphic in telling us all that's said. He just gives us parents little snippets of parents' perspective parents yeah. perspective on it uh so yeah i think in different ways yes and no with jordan's writing so when it comes to things of a more uh sexual nature he can be very hands-off he likes yeah. to give to illusion and let the reader's mind go where it will um however he has no fear whatsoever of going hard R content when it comes to things like violence. Right. And, and I was, like that. I was speaking specifically towards things like more of the sexual nature. Yeah. Yeah. He um, is very much I, one to avoid graphic content in that yeah. sense. Um, I, and tries I have, to just kind of let your mind go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's far different from another um, well-known fantasy writer. Yes. Uh, who, who probably would have given us all the lyrics to this song. <laughs> oh yeah yeah plus she would have been you know less clothes yeah i mean this uh, girl was already showing probably too much skin as it was yeah um yeah she would have been wearing even less and uh probably would have given us some details about what happened later that night yeah um but yeah i, I do agree like I, i've noticed that 
you know that he doesn't he doesn't shy away from the violence yeah um, which it, it that is in turn like his writing in this style is what allows m- me to be more uh okay with recommending this series to younger readers yeah um now again there are going to be caveats to that mm-hmm. uh especially as we get further into the series we are going to deal with subjects that you know parents are going to have to look at this and decide if their child is ready to read about that kind of stuff yeah um but especially in these first several books um it's very much something that could be picked up pretty much easily by a teenager Mm -hmm. and not have any problems i cannot say that for a lot of other book series right um especially when you're dealing in more the modern fantasy setting and things like that uh you know, we, we and it, you know, we don't term the phrase uh, grimdark mm-hmm. uh, that tends to be lumped in with that type of writing style. Uh, and Jordan is more of a true. He's not high fantasy. Not really. He gets lumped in there sometimes yeah, with like Tolkien and stuff, I guess. Um, right, right. And, and you know, once upon a time, I, I would have disagreed with that. But the more we've been discussing, I think, you know. It's a little bit more, it's really yeah. a little bit more science fiction yeah. in some ways. Yeah, it is very much. It's like, a, it's like a blend of science fiction and fantasy. Yeah, which it's funny because there was another series that I grew up loving that I actually started reading before The Wheel of Time that does a very similar thing. And depending, it's one of those series that has so many different books that go on so many different side tangents <laughs> that depending on which book you pick up as your first one, you might not even know there's any sci-fi elements for who knows how long, uh, which is the Dragon Riders of Pern series. Okay. Um, you know, it's got dragons, but <laughs> at its heart, it's <clears throat> a sci-fi series. Yeah. Yeah, but it it doesn't feel like a sci-fi series. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wheel of Time is very much like that. It kind of to me it bridges the gap from high fantasy to the more modern, mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of almost on its own in this little like transitional period that we saw in in literature, shifting from the high fantasy into the more modern. Mm-hmm. Um, it is kind of that the missing link almost. It's that connective tissue going from things like Lord of the Rings into our more modern things. Yeah. Um, you know, stepping away from like dwarves and elves and high fantasy, you know, unicorns and things right, like that. And right. into a more mystical yet real world atmosphere. Yeah. It's it's very much a belie- a believable world. Yeah. Um in many ways. Yeah. Um we were talking about. Uh, <laughs> what, what we were, were talking, talking about, about our informant here in the uh, in the end. And, and, the, got and all the, over the, the place. The information that she gives us. We we got off on that subject because we were talking about the singer. Yes. Uh, who was singing some songs that um, other writers might give us in full, but yeah, Jordan just gives us some hints, yep. and it's enough for us to realize these songs are probably not. Uh, at, you know, at best, they're probably PG thirteen. Yeah. Um, so, but the reason that she is there singing is because apparently for the first time in more than 10 years, uh, Nia has been having fights in the Badger. 
Yeah. So she brings this singer in to kind of keep everybody happy, keep everybody in a good mood. Yeah. Um, and we don't really know why. Of course, we've already established that like a fifth of the people in town seem like they hate everybody. Yeah. And now we get here to the Badger and there have been fights where there previously were no fights. Um, Nina thinks it could just be the weather. Right. Yeah. It was a it was a particularly harsh w- winter, although not as harsh as the winter before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that already kind of sends up a red flag thinking maybe that's not it. Um, maybe there's something else going on. Yeah. Um, I think that's also where we get the idea that she doesn't believe in snow. <laughs> yeah. She thinks it's just a a a a fairy tale or something like that. Yeah. I love Perrin um, and all of them are Perrin especially is just like you know, the humidity and the heat. Yeah. And she's like, it's still a little cold. Yeah, it's still kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. And that yeah. makes you wonder what Ilian is typically like at this point in time. <laughs> what, what is Ilian uh, like in the summer? Yeah. Uh, oh boy. Uh, but yeah, and that, that kind of leads us into finding a little bit more about what's been going on in the city as well. Um, well, yeah. What's, what's the big news? Yeah. Uh, big news is there's been a power shift. Uh, you know, there's a, a new Lord who has risen to power astonishingly fast. Yeah. Um, and not in a way that like nobody really knows who he was. He just popped up, uh, back in the winter and, Quickly rose to power. He literally showed up in town and one week later was appointed to the council. Mm-hmm. And the other council members suddenly do what he says, defer to him. The king, apparently, like nobody really has seen the king doing a whole lot lately. Uh, it, it's just real suspicious. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, that's the, that was kind of the real thing that, well, the first clue that something's not right is that nobody has ever heard of this Lord Brend. Yeah. And all of a sudden, not only is he on the council, but pretty much the rest of the council is deferring to him. Yeah. He just showed up in town and, and everybody just started doing what he said. And that, (laughs) that, that does not happen. That's not supposed to happen. No. Um, and I'm I'm having a, a a moment. It was going back to I think with Tom and Matt, mm-hmm. and they learned I think about a new High Lord in Tear. Yeah, somebody that Tom didn't know. Uh huh. So this uh, seems to be a theme. <laughs> yeah some something like this happening in in different places um and it seems strange that it should be both Ilion and Tyr because those two countries or cities i guess they're cities and countries true um but are, i think you're forgetting something or they're, they're not friends with each other true there definitely and, no no love lost between Tyr and Ilion. and it's even gotten uh, to the point that Apparently, shipping between the two town, the two cities has stopped. Right. What am I forgetting? Uh, so you mentioned Matt and Tom and the new lord being appointed in Tier. Yeah. Uh, I think you're 
Give me a second. I might have been about to spoil something. <laughs> That's the price for it taking a while to get back into these. Give yeah. me just a minute. Because I'm, I'm trying to think of... Aha! If... Okay. Yep. I was going to spoil something. Never mind. Yeah. Forget what I said. <laughs> you weren't forgetting anything. I was getting ahead of us. I Actually, I probably was forgetting something because I probably would have recognized what you were about to tell me. Um, yeah. So, sorry, we'll cover that and listeners. I, I'm getting the impression we'll cut. We'll get to that in a few weeks, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Um. Yeah. Well, in that I got case, my story points out of order. That that's okay. That's okay. Um, I'm sure sometimes uh, it, you you know all of it kind of runs together at times. <laughs> um. So yeah, okay. We got this fella, Lord Brind. Yes. Uh, we have. Him just appearing out of nowhere, claiming power right away, uh, all of a sudden, and I can't help but wonder, are the two events related, that shipping stops between Ilion and Tyr? Um, my guess would be Lord Bren probably has something to do with that. Yeah. Um, and... There's this uh, there's little thing also, about dreams. Yeah, dreams. Uh, and even if we just heard that Nedra was having these dreams, mm -hmm. I think it would be a red flag. Yeah. Because as I read the content of what happens in these dreams, uh, first of all, this lord that she really doesn't know who he is uh never heard of him before he's in her dreams right and how does she describe it um lord brand in strange places walking bridges hanging in air all fogged um yeah that sounds familiar so there's a couple of things in this that should sound familiar to yeah. you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that I believe it was in the wolf dream. Perrin saw a place very much like that's described that way. Mm -hmm. Um, which I guess also sounds kind of like the ways with the bridges hanging in the air. Yeah. I, I don't. Uh, I, don't yeah. I don't. I'm not. I'm not putting. I'm not saying that she's dreaming about the ways. Right. Yeah. Um. But what what am I supposed to be thinking of something else? Well, we'll find out. <laughs> no, this I I can tell you this without spoiling anything because this is I yeah. think is what Jordan intended for you to draw connections to. Yeah. But I think it's something that escapes people on their first read through. So I'm okay talking about this. Um, we have seen this situation before. So think with me. So. What's happening here is people throughout the city are sharing dreams. They're seeing Lord Brind in their dreams. Think back to the beginning of the Dragon Reborn, the beginning of this book. We saw this exact same thing happening in the camp with Rand. The Shinerans yeah. 
Perrin, everybody were seeing that dream of Kalendor. Yes. Okay. So okay. what Rand basically because of Rand's who he was, his dreams were bleeding over into the people around him. I think we're seeing we're supposed to draw the parallel here. Okay. That the same thing may be happening here with this Lord Brend. Yeah, I didn't really pick up on that, which honestly I did not remember that detail. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but now that you mention it, I am remembering it. And yeah, I think that should be something that that we see. Um Yeah. Because Rand's dream, it was basically Rand was having that dream of Kalendor, and because he was who he was, because partially because he was Taviran, partially because he was a channeler, his dream basically his dream was bleeding into other people's and they were having his dream. And so is that what's happening here with Lord Brind? Yeah. And then that raises the question, who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is this guy? Yeah. And I unfortunately, I don't think we have an answer. Here's what we do know. Um, when Moraine hears this, Heron can sense fear. In her voice. Yeah. Uh, that alone is troubling. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not good. That's for sure. Yeah, and not only that, even Lan, as we will see, uh, I think a little bit later, is showing worry in his yeah. face. And Lan is, as Zareen likes to point out, stone face. Right. Um, I think before we get to that, though, I think that's a little bit later in the chapter. I think uh, we need to talk about some strange Ogier behavior. Yeah. And we hadn't really said much about Loyal uh, so far in this chapter, but Loyal doesn't really like being in Ilion, and it's not just because of the oppressive atmosphere, but he's afraid because apparently... The stonemasons from Steading Shangtai come and do work in the city on occasion. And Loyal is worried if they find him, they're going to take me home. And he doesn't want to go home. <laughs> so he's kind of um he's he's kind of worried about that kind of, that that happening. But then we find out that there actually have been some stonemasons in town, not that not that long ago. Yeah. Uh, who left mysteriously in yeah. the night. Uh, so apparently they, they, they wouldn't just do that. Right. And, and I, it wasn't... I, think, I think we, you know, we've spent enough time with loyal. We probably know that, you know, their Ogier are not the type. They're just going to abandon a job. Yeah. They're going to make sure that it's done right. But that's pretty much what these, these Ogier did. They just left. Yeah. And it's not because they weren't getting paid. No. I think this just adds another layer on to things to get concerned about. Because as Moraine points out, Ogier are typically more sensitive to some things. Yes, she does. So while all of them are feeling like something is off, 
you know, loyal, maybe not so much because he is trying his hardest to basically not pay attention to the things around him. <laughs> uh, but for the most part, the Ogier are more observant. And so maybe they picked up on these same things, these dreams, these people acting more angry, the people look, you know, the one in five people looking disgruntled and upset and short. And we're like, okay, something we need. No, this is not a good place. Let's, let's, let's hightail it. Uh, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah. So I think it's just meant to really like, he's really laying it on here. He's given us like, something is wrong <laughs> alarms going off yeah <laughs> and they uh, should be i yeah. mean and again it comes back down even to when moraine and lan appear worried yeah uh something is not right and and that continues even as, as they're having dinner yeah because they're their plan, you know, they talk with the innkeeper and their plan is to take ship. And that's when they find out find the out shipping lanes ships are Ships aren't going anywhere, yeah. Um, and Moraine, when she is inquiring about a ship, makes mention of the fact that they need to leave early in the morning, but there are things she has to be about tonight. So she's already at this point decided, okay, I got to look, I got to do some investigating. Yeah. I got to, something's wrong. I need to figure out what. But something else happens before we can get there. Uh, yeah, we have to have dinner. Yeah, let's 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 sit down and have us some nice. <laughs> let's let's odd sit dish. down. <laughs> let's sit down and have a nice dinner of red stripe and um, I forget what else was on the table. By the way, Zareen hates fish. Yeah. Um. Once upon a time, I would have agreed with her, but not anymore. I I do uh, kind of wonder. Um. And this is maybe this is a tangent, but I think I want to say it anyways. I wonder if uh. Zareen's lack of love for fish has to do with one the type of fish that typically would come from the far north that she is from because Saldea is not landlocked but you know it's very different than say fish like there's a difference in the fish you catch in Alaska and the fish you catch in Texas yeah you know <laughs> uh, so I wonder if that's not showing some of her like, I guess for lack of a, her, uh, her raising, you know, what she was exposed to younger. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. That's just something that stuck with me in my mind was maybe it's something because she's never had, you know. Yeah. Well, all Moraine's got to say to her is eat your fish. Yeah. Um, and, and at least parent thinks they're good. Yeah. Until he starts to smell something that doesn't smell so good. Yep. And it's not and, the, it's not the cheeses that were being served after dinner. Right. Um, you know, some cheese can get kind of, kind of nasty smelling, but that's not what we're dealing with here. And unfortunately, I'm pretty sure this is a familiar smell. Mm -hmm. Like we've encountered this before, but if memory serves me correctly, we're up to this point. We haven't figured out what it is. So up to this point, it had been like a lingering yeah. like, trace of the scent. We didn't know why, uh, and it was never never hung around. Um, but now it is present. It is there, and lo and behold, <laughs> there it has are... a source. <laughs> yeah, six men. Yeah, uh, who um, 
they're not just there to have dinner. No. Uh, they are there to cause some trouble. And for apparently one person in particular. Yeah. And we, we, we have this this scene. The, these men, uh, Perrin notices, he recognizes that the smell is coming from them. And in a quick succession realizes, oh, they have knives in their hands. He alerts everybody. A fight starts. And almost as soon as it begins, it's over. Yeah. Um, and I guess we finally get the answer to the question. <laughs> yeah. Where, where, What is this smell that Perrin keeps running into? Yeah, that would be gray man. These these are gray men. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, we we have seen these guys prominently in this book. We um, have, and I I think have we just been introduced to them in this book? Yes. Okay, so they they've been all over the place. Yeah. Uh, we see but we found not them. in this kind of numbers. Yeah, we see we've we've seen them in the tower. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen them um, on the streets of Tarvalin. Right. Um, we I, Apparently, we've smelled them <laughs> uh, on the road to Ilion. Yeah. And didn't, wasn't there a moment where Rand encountered a gray man? Yeah, so in the scene he, where Rand confronts, like, he's met by this lady and supposedly her entourage while yeah. he's traveling, and then he quickly dispatches them because he, he has decided they're all dark friends. Uh, when he gets done killing them all, he realizes there's more bodies than he saw before. Right. And uh, there's an extra... Uh, and best guess we can make is that that's a gray man. Yeah. Okay. Uh, same thing with one. So Matt encounters two. One, yeah, that he almost dies fighting on the rooftops in the streets of Tarvalin, and another while he's on the boat. Right. Right. Uh, so, and then, uh, yeah. So other one. So Rand one, Matt two, the girls and the AKA the tower two. Yeah. Heron six. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's another thing is you know. All of those other occasions, it was just one at a time. Yeah. And here, it's, yeah, six at one time. Yeah. So. And they are specifically targeting Perrin. Yeah, they don't even seem concerned other than the fact that, you know, they're being killed by the by the other people. They don't even seem concerned that the others are there. Right. Yeah, it, it reads very much like, okay, the others are being more of a obstruction. Yeah. Like they're not even, it doesn't even seem like, okay, Lan attacks one of them and they go in to like defend themselves and attack him. It pretty much seems like they are basically get trying to continue towards Perrin, even while the others are like hitting them when yeah. in one of them's case being burned alive. Uh, well, you know, Singed not, at least, not, not really alive. Yeah, <laughs> or, well, or they're not dead. Yeah, they're not zombies. Uh, but they'd probably be better for them if they were. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, six and uh, Perrin and Lan. Like we're not given the exact numbers on who takes out who, but we're we're alluded to the idea that 
a lot of them are taken down by Perrin. Okay. Uh, with his club, his his what used to be a chair. <laughs> uh, because like that... one minute they're there and the next minute like they're done. We know yeah. uh, Zer- Fayil takes out one. Yeah, she's got a knife uh, in her hands. The others are taken out by Lan and Perrin. Okay. With one of them being helped along by Moraine. Yeah. Who quickly is taken out of the equation because it's too small a space and she can't attack without hit. And that's one of the limitations of three oaths. Yeah. Because she doesn't want to, or doesn't want to or can't use the power on someone that isn't an enemy, she can't really do much here. You don't want to cast fireball in a small room. Exactly. <laughs> um, because thankfully none of our party are murder hobos. That's right. Um, not yet anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, as time goes on, we'll see. But yeah. um, but anyway, I mean, this, like I said, the, the fight is over as, as quick as it begins. And yeah, the uh, the or, bouncer, for lack of a better term, doesn't even have time yeah. to get to the fight. And uh, and. As far as I can tell, our our party is no worse for the wear, right? Like they they dispatched of them with really no trouble at all, and then Moraine is out the door, yeah, with a quick discussion well, with yeah with with Lan, um, you know, Lan recognizes at least to him it sounds like Moraine is, you know, walking out the door to her death, and he's not exactly thrilled about that. But the way she speaks, she's speaking as though she might not be coming back. She's telling yeah. Lan to, you know, go to the tower. Well, he'll he'll be compelled to go to the tower if she dies. And to take Perrin with him because he's... Apparently he's deeper in all of this than she realized. She was yeah. so wrapped up in Rand being Taviran that she barely even noticed the two that were right there with him the whole time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause she says, uh, and she's talking to Lan here and she says, take Perrin with you. It seems the shadow has made his importance in the pattern known to me. If not clear, I was a fool. Rand is so strongly to Viren that I ignored what it must mean that he had two others close by him. With Perrin and Matt, the Armorlin may still be able to affect the course of events. So it's the most backhanded, not apology, apology <laughs> to Perrin. Yeah. Like basically, Moraine, it takes some like six dark assassins to to basically hold up a, a flashing neon sign at Perrin saying, the shadow thinks he's important before yeah. Moraine finally gets oh, <laughs> he's you, not just, you know, a pawn, like, he's not just a, a connection that I can use to manipulate Rand. Yeah. The, the pattern, or at least the shadow thinks he's important. <laughs> do you think, though, do you think that that's Moraine's, you know, commitment to the cause? Like, she's so determined, you know, to do whatever needs to be done with Rand. Mm-hmm. that she doesn't even know she really just doesn't even notice she doesn't even think about it she's so she's almost got tunnel vision she does and i think that's one of moraine's flaws yeah and at the flaw of most of the blues uh 
And it's also the problem that comes from, we talked earlier about that ethical dilemma mm-hmm. of doing what you see as being for the greater good when you don't have all the information. You don't know what's, you have a very narrow view. And so to decide, you know, without giving clearance to anyone else, that you know what's best for the world and that anybody who goes against what you're trying to accomplish is automatically in the wrong is a very dangerous way to view the world. And it leads one to be blinded to things that would be obvious otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that's what has happened with Moraine. Because can you, can you, the way she views people uh, and her willingness to snuff people out if they get in her way or cause damage to what she sees as the way things need to go could be catastrophic just as much as the dark one and the uh, forsaken. Like she could do just as much damage as anyone who's giving themselves to the shadow all in the name of the light. It's almost very white cloak esque. Mm. Mm. And we all know how I feel about white cloaks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's a very dangerous way to view the world. Um, yeah. And, and it seems why... like even even realizing, you know, the mistakes that she made, she's still um, so committed to the cause that she's got to, she's going to run out into the night. Yeah realizing what just happened maybe she thinks oh well they're after Perrin I'm not in danger (laughs) but she also realizes that she could be marching to her death right and expresses it pretty much expresses as much to Lan as as we as we read and doesn't Um, you know normally she's a mask of you know she's a stone she's almost as stone-faced as Lan most of the time and Perrin even alludes to the fact that this is the first time he has seen her scared like not mm. worried, not upset, but actual fear, yeah. uh, which he even makes the comment in his own head. If she's scared, shouldn't I be terrified? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, probably. Um, but yeah. Uh, and I think maybe he is at this point to an extent earlier. I think he was more excited uh, so, at the thought of an adventure. But second. now he's I think he is right to maybe be afraid yeah i think he was dealing with that adrenaline yeah and almost not quite bloodlust but you know that like uh he works so much of his life to keep himself tamped down mm-hmm. that i think sometimes it comes bubbling to the surface and takes kind of takes hold um there's a lot of people who well We'll get into that kind of stuff later on and as we go through the books, but <laughs> yeah, there are some interesting a- aspects to Perrin's character, and I think these are just kind of the first hints at some of it. Yeah. Well, with Moraine fo- uh, dashing off into the night, should we follow? I think so. Because <laughs> uh, that's where chapter 43 is going to take us. Uh, the chapter is titled Shadow Brothers, and following Moraine into the night, the group soon learns that gray men aren't their only concern. A different shadow spawn, not seen so far south since the, since the Trolloc Wars, 
has made its presence known. Seeking answers, Perrin willfully enters the wolf dream, but only finds strange, strange visions and a warning. But gray men and dark hounds may be the least of Perrin's worries as another threat looms. So let's open with this question. Or we can table it for the Q&A if you want. Is that that is why could Moraine and Lan not sense the gray men? Okay. Because that, that comes up at the beginning of this chapter. That's why I didn't bring it up before. Because Perrin flat out asks Lan about him him and Moraine not being able to sense them. Right. We, we don't really get an answer. Well, I can give that answer. Uh, it would be a very short Q and A question, so uh, I think I can answer that here, and it'll be all right because okay. uh, it would it would not take long. Uh, reason is they're not shadow spawn. Okay. Uh, Aes Sedai and warders, because of the the connection and one of the boons, basically right. of the warder bond, uh, they can sense shadow spawn. Okay. Gray men are not shadow spawn. Okay. They are people who willingly gave their souls over to the Dark One, but right. they are still people. They are simply Dark friends that have been have... turned into okay. something more. Uh, but they are in intrinsically, despite their abilities, human. Okay. Uh, so, so the same thing would be true if, like, uh, a Dark friend were standing next to them. Correct. They, they wouldn't know it. Yeah. Okay. So it's just yeah. things like the, Trollocs and Mirdral and yeah. things that Drakkar. are actually, yeah, things that are actually inhuman. Yes. Okay. That is what the that is the boon that being a channeler and a warder provides. Okay. Um okay. now there are exceptions to that if someone's yeah. soul has become twisted to a horrendous point. Okay. Point in case, pad and fame. Okay. He sets off Moraine's uh, senses because his soul has become so dark that it is basically okay. like, you know, she can barely be in the room with them without throwing up, basically. Mm -hmm. um, he is kind of a special case. It takes the souls getting to that point. Um, okay. And the, the gray men also don't really have they're more or less a husk. You know, they don't have really free will anymore. They don't have personalities. They're not sitting, the gray, six gray men aren't sitting around before they came to assassinate having conversation. Yeah. They are basically, they have sacrificed their souls completely to the dark one. They are no longer a person. They are basically just a weapon. Okay. Uh, but they are a human weapon and it's why they are so effective. Because they blend in, they blend in in a yeah. supernatural like way. Even Land yeah. does not see them coming. Yeah, uh, visually as well. Like it is just some. It is yeah. Well, at least we've got Perrin's nose. Yeah, and uh, which it's oh, not just Perrin's nose. It's his eyes. His eyes as well. Yeah, which okay. You know, we haven't really been. Only thing we've ever really said about Perrin's eyes at this point is just they changed colors. 
and yeah. everybody notices them. And I can't, I don't like that. Everybody <laughs> looks at my eyes and, but his eyes are different and they let him see things that others miss. Okay. Uh, it's his senses in general are heightened. His hearing is better. His smell is better. His vision is better. Um, it's so, so, so you're telling me that nobody else would have seen the gray men if Perrin had not alerted them. Correct. Until maybe like they were right on top of them. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because um, I mean, think back. Like Rand, he didn't even see the gray man until it was a dead corpse. Right. Like he was just fighting and happened and the same to thing, kill it. The same thing in the tower. Yeah. They didn't see the gray man until. Yeah. And arrow was, was dispatched. In it. Yeah. Uh, the only other instance of someone actually noticing the gray man is Matt, because of his luck, notices the gray man as it is attacking him. Okay. Uh, and it, it normally anybody in that situation would be dead because by the time they got a chance to react, they'd already have a knife in them. But right. Matt, with his luck, basically it goes in for the attack. Matt doesn't know it's there. He then realizes and he has chance to react and fight. And at that point, he's aware of them. But okay. he it's not like he didn't even see them coming. He just, because of his luck, had a chance he basically got to roll that, uh, you know, that luck die. He rolled the <laughs> dice and yeah, and the dice basically gave him a chance to parry. Okay, uh, is how it worked with him. So he didn't. The only one who could have, like, if Perrin hadn't been here, they'd all be dead. But if Perrin hadn't been there, the Gray Men might not have been there. Oh, uh, they wouldn't have been there at all <laughs> because they couldn't care less about the Aes Sedai. Yeah, like they are specifically they're, they're there specifically for after Perrin. Perrin. Um, and apparently they're not the only things yes. that are after Perrin. And this is another kind of a callback to something we've seen earlier. There have been a couple of occasions yep. where Perrin smelled something that smelled like burning sulfur. Mm -hmm. And I think a couple of times he dismissed it as fireworks. And he even yep. has something, you know, even something along those lines here mentioned something about fireworks. But he, he knows now that that's not the case. Yeah. And we finally learn what the source of that smell is as they rush out. They start kind of searching around the inn or Lan, I guess, does most of the searching. Yeah. Uh, Loyal, Perrin and Zareen are still just kind of trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, it's all happening so fast. Yeah. But what wow. Lan finds is something else we've also glimpsed before. Yeah. Uh, what appear to be dog footprints in the stone leading up to the end and then leading back away from it again. Yeah. And, but dogs don't leave footprints in stone. Nope. But something else does. What would that be? Dark hounds. Dark hounds. And I actually have the quote written down um, where Lan says, a dark hound leaves no mark on dirt, not even on mud, but stone is another matter. So that, that's that's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, we find out that these are these are shadow spawn. They are. That um, have not been seen 
south of the mountains of doom since the Trolloc wars yeah so much so that and i guess in this part of the world everybody thinks that shadow spawn are fairy tales you know they don't believe in Trollocs, they don't believe in murdral they don't believe in dark hounds yeah um i mean even in the two rivers they just thought they were fairy tales until winter night yeah. well i mean you even have uh fail here who she, she she's from saldea yeah so she <laughs> believes in trollocs and murdral and stuff like that and even to her dark, dark hounds, hounds are, are like yeah hold on what <laughs> yeah uh so yeah it they are very rare they have not been seen and all of a sudden here yeah, they, they are, are in Ilion. And Would, because of what Perrin has seen, we know that they have been following, if not them, but we're given the idea that they may have been following Rand. Right. But at, at least Land seems to think that this one was following them. Yes. And found what it was looking for. Yeah. And went back to tell its master, whoever that might be. I think we, maybe we might find that out. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um. Would their being so unknown, does that have anything to do with Moraine and Land not being able to sense them? Because so, shouldn't should since they're shadow spawn, shouldn't Moraine and Land be able to sense them when they're close? Yes. Okay, but obviously they don't. No. Is that all you're going to give me? So. <laughs> There are a couple of different reasons, um, okay. and you'll have to forgive me because this is one that I would probably want to do a little more research on to give a firm answer, but I can give my conjecture. Okay. Uh, because I am not a expert on Shadow Brothers. Um, so I would say there are two possibilities. One, it is because of how Dark Hounds are made that they may be more elusive to that sense or two. And this is most likely what has happened is they are warded. These specific okay. dark hounds have been made to be imperceptible, mm. which means their master can channel. Mm. So, cause we know that can be done. Because Moraine has done it for them to keep yeah. them from being sensed. Right. Because basically, you know, in the first book, she talks about how she can hide the trace of them or she could make it impossible for something to enter a space. She can't do both. Okay. Uh, and so it is completely possible for someone sufficiently powerful and with the skill to do so to make them basically stealth mode. Hmm. I wonder if there could be anybody nearby that could do something like that. I mean, maybe. Maybe we'll find out. <laughs> maybe. Uh, in the meantime, now we know that we have dark hounds to worry about. Yeah. And they're they're dangerous. Yep. Almost as dangerous as Murdrow, Land says, and harder to kill. Actually, I I'm kind of interested in that. Why they're harder to kill? I I'm. I'm curious about that i don't know that we have an answer for it or that you can give me an answer for it can't give me an answer right now yeah uh but that just that intrigue because i mean murdraw we have seen are notoriously hard to kill 
Right. Um, so dark hounds being even harder to kill is something that I think should worry us, especially if it's possible that we might not be able to know that they're there. Well, I guess Perrin could sense them if he smells that sulfur smell again. Yeah. So but Perrin... Randon, or Lan and Moraine are not going to know that they're coming, or at least not, not yeah. if they had come from the same source. Yeah. Um, well, they might have a better chance now that they specifically know what they're looking for yeah, um, because they can be on alert. But uh, Perrin has a unique relationship with the Dark Hounds that the others don't in his connection to the wolves. That's true. Um, so there is some little bit of an edge there for him. Okay. Uh, but Dark Hounds are... And interesting, it they are one of the more dangerous of the darkspawn, in my opinion. Uh, and that is not just because of their ability, but because of their very nature and their ability to seem like they, for all intents and purposes, look like. Well, I don't want to spoil things. Sorry, you haven't <laughs> seen one yet. Let's, uh, yeah, know. let's let's leave that. And you meant you bring up Perrin's connection to the wolves. Yeah. And that really ties into the rest of this chapter, because as reluctant as he is about that connection, and, and we've been seeing that for pretty much this whole book is, you know, at times he knows it can be beneficial. Uh, really, I guess, ever since he first got it, we've been seeing this, that at times he knows it can be beneficial. Yeah but he's not ready to latch on to that connection to the wolves. No. Just yet. He is very reluctant about it. However, he needs answers and he thinks he knows a way to possibly get some of those answers through the wolf dream. Right. Which he allows himself to fall asleep and enter into the wolf dream, but maybe not immediately because there's some interesting things in the first part of his dream and i, I just want to uh touch on these real quickly word let's see where let's see dreams tumbled through his head dark hounds chasing him he never saw them but he could hear their howling fades and gray men I guess this is the part that stood out to me. A tall, slender man flashed into them again and again in richly embroidered coat and boots with gold fringe. Most of the time he held what seemed to be a sword shining like the sun and laughed triumphantly. Sometimes the man sat on a throne and kings and queens groveled before him. These felt strange if, this, if they were not really his dreams at all. And it's after that that the dreams change and he is in the wolf dream. I don't know. I just don't know what to make about that first part, uh, what he could be seeing, who he could be seeing. Um, so I think it it is uh, the same thing that the rest of the people in Ilion have been seeing. You think he's seeing Lord Brend? Yep. That would make sense, I guess. Yeah, I think his dreams are being touched on just as much as everyone else in Ilion's while he's still in a normal state 
but as he slips past that and goes deeper into the wolf dream. Okay. Um, but for that moment, he is experiencing much the same as the rest of the people of Ilion. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I did, I did not make that connection, but that makes perfect sense. But then we get into the wolf dream and he's looking for Hopper. Yep. But first, there's a couple of little visions that he's given. One of Matt apparently throwing dice with Baalzaman. Right. I don't know that there's... I mean, other than just an allusion to Matt's gambling nature and the you know the chances he's taking and the dark one being on his tail and like because it very much is for matt right now like he is playing a game of dice with the dark one yeah like that he is constantly you know the next role could be his last kind of thing so i don't know i think that's just a true seeing of events i don't know that there's a secret meaning to it i think it's pretty clear right uh, and at least to me, anyways. If I remember, last time we saw Matt, he was in Andor on his way to Camelin, right? Yes. Okay. He's like the only one who's not directly on his way to Tear. Correct. Uh, because he the is others delivering a message for from, the daughter heir from Elaine to her mother, which nobody understands because, of <laughs> course, he broke open the letter. Yeah, uh, and it looks like just any normal letter a daughter would send her mother, which right. is very confusing to him and Tom. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, because Elaine is with Egwene and Nynaeve um, going to Tyr to spring a trap. Yeah. Which is exactly what he sees them doing in, in the dream. Yep. Um, and two women laughing at, at them. One, I'm guessing, would be Leandrin. Because it mentions her hair being in braids. And that's something we've been she's been described with many times before. Yeah. And then the other a woman all in white, um, I'm guessing Lanfear. Yeah. Is I think who you're I would supposed be to. Yeah. Um but we finally find Hopper. Yep. And I would say he's not very helpful. <laughs> no. Well, but I he's think he, he, he is he's, because he's, he's trying to protect Perrin. Yes. He 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 repeats, you know, something that, you know, Perrin's too young or that it's too dangerous for him. Um but we don't really I guess we don't really get any information out of out of Hopper. We don't get the answers that we're looking for. All we get is pretty much that the last hunt is coming. Yeah. Right, and I'm guessing that that's a wolf name for the last battle. Yeah, yeah. So, so. the last hunt, uh, we get a little bit of allusion to the fact that the wolves have names uh, for the other shadow spawn as well. Yeah, um, what were specifically, the specifically? See, uh, the gray men are called the not dead, the not dead, and the dark hounds are called shadow brothers. Yeah. Hence the name of the chapter. Yep. <laughs> um, so, and Hopper's advice is much the same as he's he's basically telling you don't need to be here. It's dangerous. And yeah. Hopper, despite you know his urge, you know he died fighting. His in, his uh, recommendation to Perrin 
when he hears that the Shadow Brothers are there is not to run, but to flee. Mm. Which is a very, like, okay, this is a, like, wolves don't typically tuck tail and run. Uh, but that is Hopper's advice to Perrin is to run. <laughs> okay. Uh, so flee the Shadow Brothers. Get away from them. Do whatever you have to do. Yep. Um. But that's not that's not all of our wor- worries, is it? No. Because we end the chapter first of all. We end with uh, Perrin waking up to Zareen in his room watching him sleep yeah not creepy at all (laughs) (laughs) um but more important than that is moraine bursting into the room and informing us that there is a forsaken ruling in ilion yep and i'm just gonna go out on a limb um well I'm, i'm gonna read the quote um, before he could find words, the door crashed back against the wall, and Moraine stood in the doorway, her face as pale and grim as death. Your wolf dreams tell as truly as a dreamer's, Perrin. The Forsaken are loose, and one of them rules in Ilion. So not just that a Forsaken is in Ilion, but the Forsaken, uh, you know, I'm, I guess we're meant to assume all of them, the 13, yeah. are loose and one of them is in Ilion. Yeah. Which raises the I mean we kind of know where we we've seen Lanfear. Uh we've seen the two at the Eye of the World. Uh Aganor and Bal, Bal, uh, Balthamal. Balthamal. Uh have we have, I don't think we've confirmed seeing any others yet um hmm, no not yet no um, alluded to yes so, Confirmed, so no yeah so where are the others <laughs> in the world uh but we know there's one right here in Ilion. i'm gonna guess that go out of limb and guess that that's lord brend yeah i think the the chapters that we've been going through tonight really like paint like by the time you get to moraine coming in this door there should be no doubt in your mind exactly who she's talking about. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think we're spoiling anything there. Like the and that chapters have pretty much been leading us up to that. I mean, that would explain so much about how he came to power, how mm-hmm. he's, you know, kind of taken over. Yeah. And gee, I wonder where these dark hounds came from. Yeah. And how they could be so how they could be warded, as you say. Um mm-hmm. Probably because they're being sent by one of the Forsaken who are channelers. Yep. Uh, and of course, it's almost become a tradition here at The Wind Was a Beginning that we end the episode on a cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that is where I think we're going to have to leave off, unless you had anything else to say about that chapter? Um, no, I think that pretty well covers it. Um, just, okay. oh, I did want to make remark on this in the very final bit of what Moraine is saying that quote that you read uh, she finally there's been a lot of Moraine realizing Perrin is more than just a country bumpkin who got tangled up in things in these chapters and I think 
what she found out in the darkness of Ilion that night is basically painted the picture to her. Okay, he's Tavirin, he's important. This wolf thing isn't just like a random thing, like there's something to it because he'd been telling her about these dreams ever since she realized he was having them. Mm-hmm. And she had just been kind of like, yeah, okay, that's it, you know. She wasn't really taking it as like truth. She was just thinking maybe he's having bad dreams. And now she's convinced, okay, like, okay, this is basically like men level. Like you, these wolf dreams are prophecy. Okay. Some, some of the time, at least like they yeah. are true. What you're, the things you're... he is saying, he's seeing, he is actually seeing and they yeah. are real. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I think in a lot of ways, Moraine is at least, I think the forefront of her mind is consumed with terror and like, okay, what the heck are we going to do? Well, but I think there's this little part in the back of her head that is sitting there like with a boot kicking herself. Yeah. Well, I, I would say, I, you know, I don't think this is worst case scenario because worst case scenario would be the dark one being free. Right. But this is like almost worst case scenario. This is like yeah. as close as you can get without it being the worst. Yeah. I mean, this is like literally one of the dark ones chief agents yeah has within it literally took him a week to completely overthrow and supplant the government of one of the nation's superpowers yeah i mean one of the countries the most powerful nations in the country is now ruled by like and, and no one knows it and and you know that the just power raises, has no idea that just raises further concerns because uh there's some mysterious lord that we don't really know in tier. Mm-hmm. Oh, and not to mention, there's kind of a power vacuum in Kyrian because there's a civil war yeah. going on there. So, yeah. Everything's great. Yep. <laughs> uh, let's, you know what? Yeah, we're going to have to call it there for tonight. Um, it's good to be back. It really is. It's good to uh, be back with this you, This has buddy. been a fantastic time um, to get to chat I and i, I think we we probably went a little long on this one to, yeah. than what we said at the beginning <laughs> yeah but you know what i think the people that want to hear it are gonna love it and hey yeah. folks if we're a little long feel free to pause and come back later yeah you know uh we just appreciate all of you joining us for the ride i you know i i'm i'm thrilled i i'm happy to just get here and get to talk to you about the wheel of time yeah, um, I have even, this a lot. <laughs> even if no one were listening, I would still want to do this. Yeah. But I'm glad that people are listening. <laughs> don't yeah. don't misunderstand me on that. I'm so thankful that y'all are listening. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it helps with the motivation to want to keep going because uh, yeah. we want to keep doing this for you. Uh, but also we're doing it for ourselves as well. Yeah. Uh, so we, we enjoy that. Uh, any 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 other final thoughts from you? Um. No, I think that's it for me. Yeah. Um, other than I, hey. I do want to in, encourage um, our listeners, because I know we've been gone a little bit. Uh, for any of our new listeners who may not be aware of this, we end every season with a question and answer. That's right. Uh, would be wonderful. Um, some of you have already started reaching us out, reaching out to us by email. So remember that that Q&A is open to y'all as well. So if you guys want to submit questions, I'm more than happy for us to answer those in that Q and a session. So please keep that in mind. We would love to hear from y'all. 
and we will be giving you our social media uh where you can find us on social media shortly um just one more thing from me no white cloaks in this episode no <laughs> and as we all know I, I don't know i'm starting to maybe amend my thinking maybe white cloaks aren't the worst but they're still pretty awful yeah <laughs> but no I white mean, cloaks in this episode yeah they definitely have the potential to be the worst yeah they they uh we'll talk more about that when we talk about white cloaks again <laughs> uh in the meantime thank you all of you who are have joined us it is so good to be back uh those that have waited who have been patient especially thank you uh we are sorry that it's taken so long but we're glad to be back and we hope we'll be able to keep this going uh more regular now those of you who have jumped on board during our hiatus um thank you uh we're glad that you're here we hope you'll keep coming back for more just a reminder uh a little bit of a change from what we've done before new episodes are going to be released bi-weekly uh that is every other week uh on tuesday but if you want to make sure you get the new episodes when they come out you can subscribe uh to the podcast in pretty much anywhere that you find podcasts is that right steven yeah uh, we yeah, should be I, pretty much on all the major podcast you know, I know, platforms. Yeah, uh, maybe some of the smaller ones we, we might not be, but I think most of the major ones will, will be there. Uh, just hit that subscribe or follow button. Make sure you get new episodes whenever they're released. Uh, please rate and review. Uh, that'll help more people find our our show, and we, we want to know what you think. Um, yeah. And in addition, you can let us know what you think on social media. We are on Twitter or X. I'm still going to call it Twitter. Um, <laughs> at Wind Beginning. Elon, please change the name back. Um, <laughs> let's say we're on Twitter at Wind Beginning. We're on Instagram. Uh, the Wind Was a Beginning. And that's all one word. Uh, Facebook and YouTube. The Wind Was a Beginning. A Wheel of Time podcast. And we're on TikTok at Wind Beginning. Uh, you can email us, thewindwasabeginning at gmail.com. And I believe that's all the ways you can reach out to us. We are not on threads yet. Maybe we will be soon. I don't know. Uh, I haven't really used threads that much. Um, but anyway. Can I be honest and say that I don't even know what that is? It's Facebook's answer to Twitter. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So... Stephen, yes, sir. What are we going to be discussing two weeks from now in the next so, episode? Two weeks from now, we are going to cover chapters forty-four through forty-seven. So that's four chapters. That is four chapters. Uh, we'll see what we can get through. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, there is a lot there, but I think if we can do it, it leads to the most concise. Uh, complete picture all right i guess so listeners be um if you want to follow along with us read those chapters over the next two weeks uh maybe you could even read them a couple of times i don't know uh don't forget to submit your questions uh don't forget to reach out to us on social media don't forget to subscribe all of that stuff i just said uh, i'm saying it again because i really don't want to say good night <laughs> but i guess we need to right yep but we all will right. be back this time. We will be back 
in two weeks. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day, evening, whatever time of day it is. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, everybody.